Church Downtown is a community of people striving to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that you're inspired by the following message to know the love of Jesus more deeply and to follow Him more passionately. For more information about our church, this message, or about being a Christ follower, please visit us at churchdowntown.org. I am Pastor Rob. I'm glad you're here. Good morning to you. This is fun. Hey, just in case you're wondering, if you're in a hard chair and you're like, man, I wanted to get here earlier, but those kids or, you know, that wife, that husband, that Starbucks barista, um, whatever it is, uh, there's a whole row of padded seats right up here. If you want to move, you're more than welcome to. Uh, yeah, those metal chairs. But it, it says to you, I got to get here early if I want a nice padded chair. There's a whole nother row up here, these front rowers. We tricked some of you last week. <laughs> By putting metal chairs on the front row, since no one sits in them, they put more to the back. But anyway, hey, thanks, guys. Right there's a whole row for you. Look at that. All to yourselves. Unless someone else joins them, then I see you can too. Anyway, hey, I am glad that you're with us. One of the things that we've been doing over the past couple weeks has just been really starting with uh, what you want to hear at every church, a disclaimer. Um, so uh, we're not actually open yet. Um, so you're here, and we're just trial running this thing. Uh, we got in this space and uh, in, in our, our building here uh, just a couple weeks ago, um, and we're even down a Sunday because we missed for that snow day. But um, so I, I just want you to know you'll see some things that look pretty unfinished. Um, we have plans on finishing things. We're excited about uh, getting that to, to, to move forward. But we are so blessed at the same time. We are so grateful because we've been in this uh, position at, uh, at our downtown location, which we were blessed with for five years of being in those locations um, across the street and, and a wonderful setup for what it was. But we didn't have the space that we needed and God provided for us. And we're so grateful for that. So thankful for this opportunity. So thank you. All of that to say we don't have all of our first impressions stuff up and running yet, all of our new guest things. We don't have all the, the, the you know, because we changed our name, so we don't even have old stuff that works anymore. We can give you t-shirts that might say church downtown on them, but then you're like, what's that for? Um, you know, so we, we wanted to uh, just let you know, this isn't, you know, quite what we're going to look like hopefully a couple months from now. But our, our plan is and our goal is that we're going to do a grand opening uh, month in April. But that's not to say don't just leave and don't come back till April. We want you here. We're excited that you are here. I'm just trying to let you know it's not all finished yet. So if you're like, I have a suggestion, you know where there's no door and there's just a hole cut in the wall. Maybe you guys can put a door in there. Um, we're not that dumb, okay? We're pretty dumb, but not that dumb. Um, but we, we have plans for these things, so just be patient with us and, uh, and, and bear with us while we walk through this process. But we are so excited about what God's doing. One of the things that God has done in our lives as a church, moving from church downtown to Church United, is um, it's been last year, year 2017, was really, or 18, sorry, I don't even know what year it is. Uh, last year was a year of stretching. 2019, we decided we would start with helping us understand and get in a place where we realize what the stretching is about. Um, so we're in this series called Stretch Marks. Um, and, and it's an exciting series. It's a lot of fun. And it matches really well because we're also in 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you've been following along with that, we're on day 15 today. So we got one more week of this. Seven days. Hang in there, gang, and be praying. And then what we're doing is next Sunday on February 3rd, we are celebrating a Break the Fast 
partying with a big Super Bowl. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say Super Bowl for copyright issues. The big game. Um, but we're going to be celebrating together what's going on. And we're going to break the fast with some buffalo chicken dip and some wings. And I'm not bringing that stuff. You are. I'm just telling you what I like on my list. Um, so you need to bring the snacks for this thing. We're going to meet here about 6 o'clock next Sunday night. And we're going to just hang out together. It's one of the blessings that we're looking forward to um, in the new year as we have a new space just to be able to hang out and fellowship and get to know one another. So we're really excited about that and about what God is doing uh, in and among us. But this stretch mark series is perfect to line up with our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're praying. Even today, we're praying. If you have a little booklet you can, and, and you're like, man, I wish I would have known about this, pray with us the last seven days. Make it your seven days of prayer and fasting. Today, we're praying specifically for our friend K.J. Washington, who God laid on his heart to plant a church in Waynesboro. So he's right now in a church uh, in Richmond, and uh, he's getting prepared and getting ready, hoping to be this direction in August. So we're praying for him. We're praying that God opens those doors, and as we partner together with him, which we are going to be doing, you'll hear more about that in the uh, days and weeks and months ahead, um, how we're partnering together to plant churches, because we want to be a church that plants churches. So we're excited about that. So we'll be praying for KJ today. Pick up one of those guides and you can be praying along with us. The other thing that I wanted to mention as we're getting started, and I'll get into my message here, but um, yesterday I would like to apologize. If you showed up for work day, um, I did a horrible job at, um, at letting you know we didn't have work day. Um, so some of you came uh, and you stood outside, you sat at the door, you were frozen, you just had a cup, you know, you walked over to McDonald's, warmed your hands with coffee, um, just sat out there for hours. No, I'm just kidding. Um, none of that really happened. But there were some people that dropped by, and I just wanted to say, hey, we'll do better. Next Saturday, we are not going to do a work day again. The next work day we're going to have is the following Saturday. So we'll, we'll begin publicizing that. And we're going to stretch those out a little further in between and really plan our projects that we have on those days. So a couple times a month now, be, between now and uh, our launch date. But we could use your help on those Saturdays. So be looking. If you don't get an email from Church Downtown, let us know. And we posted this on Facebook, and then uh, someone even shared from this morning, on Fasting Facebook. Um, that was one of the things I was fasting. I'm like, go! Uh, don't fast your email too, though, because we do want to communicate through email. I would like to fast my email sometimes, but uh, that's probably not the best idea. Um, but we, just so you know, not, no work day this Saturday either, and then the following Saturday on February, I think it's like 10th or something like that, whatever's close to that Saturday, um, we're going to be... Um, uh, we're going to be having a work day then, but we'll send out an email. If you don't get an email, fill out that connect card, drop it off the table. We'd love to get email into your hands and let you know what's going on. So we've been in this stretch mark series. Have you ever done, have you ever had a rubber band and, and you've been trying to do something with the rubber band and you just, you had it stretched and you had it stretched and it slipped and ah, that hurts. And, 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 and you're like, and, and if you've ever done it, we used to play this game because we're stupid when I was little. And one would grip, my sister would grab the one end of the rubber band and I, we'd grab the other. And it was like this dare game of who was going to let go. And I don't even know what the point of the game was besides to hurt the other person. And you'd be stretching and you'd be both wincing, waiting for it. Who's going to let go? Who's going to be mean? And it was usually my sister, Holly. Ah! And, you know, because she's mean. And uh, that's what she does. And, uh, 
and it just hurts. But we started talking this first week about stretching and what that looks like. When we, when we begin to stretch, and, and, and sometimes it just doesn't feel comfortable. We like this area because it's loose, it's relaxed, it's comfortable. We like to be there. But as we begin stretching in our own lives, if we, if we have that picture of a rubber band and we begin pulling it apart and pulling it apart, it, it gets uncomfortable for us. And we, and we don't like that. And, 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 but, but our goal is if we started over here and we're stretching, we have this idea with God is, He's taking me through a season and he's going to stretch me here so that I become comfortable. And, and after a whole year, everything kind of gets used to being here. If I get to this destination, I'll be okay. I'm going to stay there. I'm going to hang there. That's where God wanted me. And I'll get used to that stretch after a while because I'll reach the destination. But we said the first week, the point of this, we have to retrain our brains to realize maybe God's goal is not our goal. God's goal is not to get you to a destination, to get you there, to keep you there so that you become comfortable. We, we, when, as a follower of Jesus Christ, our goal was never when we followed Christ to pursue comfort. And if you thought, hey, I, and there were years and years of preachers that would get up and they would talk about, hey, you have an addiction, you've got a problem, you need help, you come to Jesus, he'll take away your problems. You poor, you come to Jesus, you won't be poor anymore. How many have experienced that in their lives? You're all rich, no problems anymore. Because I want your secret, because I have Jesus and that didn't happen to me. I have problems still. I'm still poor. I still have money issues. My wife and I still have to dig change up the bottom of the van floor to get Starbucks. <laughs> First world problems, I think is what those are. Um, but but it's, it's, it's stretching. And, and the goal wasn't ever comfort. And what we have to become accustomed to as a follower of Jesus Christ is that the, the, the point of the stretching isn't to get us to a destination, but the point is the stretching. It's the journey itself that Jesus has in mind. And when we get here, we're only going to stay there so long and then he's going to take us here and then he's going to take us here and then he's going to take us here. And the fear is, what if, what if I fall? What if it slips? That hurts. But rather than being fearful about the what ifs, we just put our trust and our faith in Jesus and you say, whatever you've got for me, I'm going to find joy in the journey. And that is the goal, is to find joy in what he's taking us through. So we talked about stretch marks in Elijah. And, and you'll have to forgive, Dad was up here last week and I, uh, if you've ever had to preach on Elisha and Elijah, just I'll tell you at the front side of today, I'm going to be talking about Elijah. So if I say Elisha, I didn't mean Elisha, I meant Elijah, okay? So, and if I mean Elisha, then I'll be very prominent about saying, I just switched characters. Um, but otherwise, I was listening to Dad last week, right after he came up and, and he started talking and he was saying Elisha and Elijah, and, and he was only talking about Elijah. And I was doing the same thing prior to him coming up. So just so you know, we're talking about right now, the first week we talked a little bit about Elisha, but we talked about Elisha from the standpoint of saying he wanted to follow and was impacted by the life of Elijah. So now we're back looking at the life of Elijah, and that's where we're at today. So last week we talked about the brook. And, and, and Dad took us, Pastor Randy Spencer took us to the place where Elijah was at this brook and he was really at the place where God dried up the brook. 
And the challenge last week was, is God drying up a brook for you? That you need to be aware of, that you need to think through. What is God doing in your life? Is God drying something up? And is God calling you on to something else? So we're picking up the story this week from Elijah. Was the, the brook dried up and God sent him to Zarephath. And God put a challenge before him in Zarephath, and he was going to meet a widow. And we're going to talk about this story today. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. 1 Kings, chapter 17, we'll start reading in verse 8. We'll have some verses on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living, or no, yes I am, the New Living Translation. Uh, and that's what will be on the screen, but it's not the super inspired version by any means. You can read from whatever you'd like. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. It says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. And I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So Elijah is being taken care of by God. So we see in the first little part of Elijah's life last week, he was sent by God to this brook, this cave. He's living in a cave. He was, uh, he was drinking from the brook, and a raven was feeding him. So God can use the birds to care for you. When you think, I don't have a way out of this, I don't know how this is going to be taken care of, I'm not sure what the plan is for this. God can use a bird of the air to take care of us, but God can use people to take care of us as well. So he says, I'm going to instruct, or I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So Elijah, verse 10, goes to uh, Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup, or a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, bring me a bite of bread, too. Have you ever been... My wife and I will sit down for watching a show or something like that, and you sit down in the chair and you're exhausted, but you forgot to get something, like your snack, and you left it in the kitchen, and it's like this waiting game, because both of us will sit down and it's this realization, she doesn't have a drink either. She doesn't have her snack either, so if I just wait this out, she's going to get up, and, and, and it's those famous words, when, when one, one finally gets up, the other one says, hey, while you're up, <laughs> while, while you're up. And, and you never know it's going to fall. It could be this easy request. And this is kind of like for Elijah and the widow. And, and the widow, she's just like, you know, while you're up, could you grab me a little cup of water? Now, my wife doesn't, that, that doesn't bother me. If it's, it's a cup of water, something easy, I can handle that. And this is one of the most easy requests, even for the widow, because they're in a drought. So a little cup of water. This is a drought time. So even that was kind of a big request, but, but it's kind of like the next ask went above and beyond the cup of water, and it went to something just magnanimous. And it would be like, hey, Kelly, while you're up, grab me a cup of water. And can you kill a cow and make me a steak, too? <laughs> this is kind of the big ask. This is a big deal. He's like, okay, the cup of water, she's like, I'm going to get out of here before he asks for something else. And then he's like, oh, while you're up, can you grab me a little bit of bread? Just, 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 just feed me. I often want to sit back down when my wife asks for the next one. You know, I wasn't actually up. Um, it's just, oh, there it is. Yeah, I was adjusting that keys in my pocket. You know, and uh, if you need something, I guess you want that, so while you're up, 
But here's Elijah, and he throws out this request. And the widow's response is, is pretty amazing. And he says in verse 11, as she was going to get it, he called to her and he said, bring, bring me a bite of bread too. And she said, now, now here's what you have to realize about Elijah. This is funny because what God said was, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, number one, there's more than one widow in this town. Okay, she's not the only one. And, and, and so Elijah has a little bit of faith in Elijah to even ask the question. But then when she has her response, I think he may be wondering, what, maybe I got the wrong widow. Maybe God sent me to the wrong place because I must have been needing to get a rich widow who had what she needed to be able to uh, give it back to me. And, and I must have the wrong one because her response, though, was not one that sounded like she had heard from God. And she says, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. And I was just gathering a few sticks to cook the last meal. And then maybe my son or then my son and I will die. This is a time of destitution. This is a time when no one has anything. But her response is one that really, honestly, is in a place where I think you can see that God came to her because she's not a Jewish lady. She's not a follower of Jesus Christ. You can see it even by the way she said, and I swear by the Lord, your God. It's almost as though she's saying to Elijah, yeah, your God showed up to me and he told me to get you bread. And I swear, just like I told him, I will tell you, I have no bread. I have nothing to give. So you're asking me to do this, but I don't have it. Just like I told him, I'm going to tell you, I have nothing. Now, uh, uh, nothing is interesting because we kind of we have two camps of people, the haves and the have nots, basically. Or in our lives today, that we, we have a, a camp of people that, that when they do evaluation and inventory on their life, you could be on one side and you could say, I've really got something to offer. It sounds arrogant, it sounds a little boastful, but I think God, you know, he could use me. I look around this building and I think, they could use someone with my abilities and talents. I got a little extra money in the bank. Maybe I can push a little their way, these poor needy people. That poor needy God, he must not have enough to buy doors. <laughs> and we think our something that we have is big. The truth is that our Something is nothing in comparison to God's everything. And in comparison to everything, we really do have nothing. It doesn't matter what the gifts you have, what the talents you have, how much money you have in your bank account, how much you put in your 401k. If you have your, you followed all of Dave Ramsey's advice. You got your house paid off. You got your maxing out the 401k. You got your Roth set up. You got all these kids' college fund, everything maxed out. In comparison to God, you've got nothing. Because God has everything 
He owns everything, and everything we have comes from God. So when we like to think, oh, I think I've kind of got my act together, I'd always be careful about that because I'm not sure what God wants to then say to me. What's going to be the follow-up to that? I'll show you what it looks like <laughs> to think you've got it all together. And it goes back to this idea of God then begins to stretch and grow. Because if we get comfortable, we've got to be careful because God's goal isn't comfort. God's goal is the journey, and the journey may look like that. In order to put us back in our place to realize we have nothing apart from God. And then there's the other camp of people that think, I have absolutely nothing. I have nothing of any value. I have nothing of any worth. I have, I have nothing. It's like this widow. She actually had something, but she started with, I've got nothing. I have no bread. I've got nothing in my house to give you. But there was something. She did have a little bit of something. But when we're in the camp that says we don't have anything, we kind of are in this camp that says, I, I don't have it. I don't know what I can give. I don't know how I can be useful to God. I, I, I just, I don't have it. And, and, and we're there, but we, would, we want something. But we don't think we can give anything. So we end up with nothing. Does that make sense? You want something. You want the next step. You don't think you have anything, but you don't think you have anything to give. So you, you want something, but you give nothing to get to something because you don't think you have anything. It's confusing. As compared to the other group that think they have something, but they have nothing in comparison to God's everything. But every single person, no matter where you land, needs to come to the conclusion that we really do have nothing apart from Christ. But nothing becomes something when we believe that God is our everything. And here's this widow. And she says, I don't have anything. And Elijah's response to this widow was incredible. Because if you put yourself in her shoes, this isn't just a, you know, I don't, I don't have anything. Because we can read these casually, these statements casually. But, 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 but I think if you go back and you realize and you put yourself in the situation she's in, Elijah's been being fed by ravens, being uh, drinking from a brook of water provided by God for a, a, a long period of time while this famine is settling into the land and people's lives are falling apart. And Elijah had a cushy little deal there. He was stuck up, as dad called it last week, in his man cave. And, and God put him in there and he's taking care of him. He's got everything he needs. He's got everything he wants. And now God sends him over and he's walking into a situation with a town that is probably in chaos. All of them have mostly resided themselves that they're going to die. And here's this widow who every day was rationing out her food and making sure that her and her son had enough. Just have a little bit more. And we got a little bit left in the flour jar. We got a little bit left oil. We got a little bit enough to survive one more day. Okay, one more day. If we split this in half, maybe we can make it through tomorrow. And she's at the very end. She feels as though she has nothing. There's no hope. There's nothing. And Elijah comes up to her, this stranger out of nowhere. And he says to her, I'll take that. And she says, I swear by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I've been saving, I've been rationing, 
and it's just me and my boy, and I've got to feed him, and I've got to put this together. I've got a little handful of flour in the jar. I've got a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was gathering the sticks to make my last meal, and we're going to lay down and die. Why does Elijah respond? He says, don't, don't be afraid. Because she's probably weeping. She probably turned around like, okay, I'll go get this guy as water, but I, I, it's over after that. And, and, and she's probably weeping, telling him that. And, and Elijah says, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And his next response, I think, it, it could have been a little different. Could have been a little bit more compassionate. He started good, but... It, it, it doesn't get better from there. And Eliza says, well, just go ahead and do what you've said. Go get my deal. Then go back to gathering the sticks and going back to dining with your son. It's a good story and everything. You know, go get the sticks and, and, and then go back to dining. Just don't be afraid about it. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. You're going to die. Don't be afraid. But actually, before you make your last meal, though, you know, and go about your business of dying, still bring me what I wanted first. I don't think you heard me. We don't have enough for a big hairy guy who walked in out of the desert and looks fat because he's been fed by ravens. And, 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 and you know, we, we don't have that going for us. We don't have enough. And he said, no, no. Make me mine first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Okay, I realize you're this man of God, but you're not very bright. The math does not add up. I can't. I can't. And I don't think any of us have ever been at that place. Where there's nothing, like, we can get down there where, where, like Kelly says, there's nothing to eat in this house. And you swing that pantry door open. And there's lots of stuff to eat. Why we have 1,700 cans of black beans? I don't know. But let's eat the black beans. Why there's a big, huge bag of rice sitting down there. And that constitutes something to eat. Some people, that's what they eat every day of their lives. We have something to eat. We don't know this. And some of you don't even cook, so maybe your pantry is empty. Maybe to you it's like saying, hey, you've only got a dollar left on your Chick-fil-A gift card. What are you going to do? How's this going to turn out? I'm at the end. It's all over. We just can't put ourselves in this situation, but Elijah here is telling her, you've got nothing left, I heard you. Go make mine first. And I'll tell you if you do this, if you follow this principle, and even though the math doesn't add up and you're going to make me something and I'm a big guy, yeah, I'll eat it. You think I'm not going to have anything left for my son. But here's what I'm going to tell you because this is what my God can do for you. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rains and rain and crops to grow again. So she did, as Elijah said. And she and Elijah 
and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour, there was always enough olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Your nothing becomes something when you make God your everything. And there's a principle of firsts that take place here. And I think we might not be able to compare ourselves and put ourselves in the camp of food. Like maybe most of us haven't been in the place where there's absolutely nothing yet left. Maybe you have been there. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know your story. But I think a lot of us can put ourselves in this camp of thinking, I've got nothing to offer. And if you think you've got nothing to offer, you need to be put back in perspective because you have to remember that your something is nothing in comparison to God's everything. So really, it starts right there. Of, you're right. You know, I hate to be the, the bearer of bad news. This is not going to be encouraging. But we have nothing. Nothing. Nothing great to offer apart from God. But with God, we have everything that we need. And God puts us in positions to stretch us. And we begin to realize that, that, that I'm here and this hurts and, I, and, and, and the, the finances are running out, the, the, the pantry's getting low, the problems are piling up, or I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the church, but I have no talents to give. I see the church trying to raise money for a building program, but I don't have any money in my bank account. I can't feed my family. I don't know how to give to the church. There's no way I can tithe. I heard Rachel stand up here and talk about tithing. I heard her talk about flipping that thing upside down, but, but that, that stretch. I think what that stretch is going to be, do to me is it's going to take me here and then it's going to take me back here and it's going to hurt. And we don't trust God. And this idea of saying, okay, I'm going to put God first and I'm going to put Him first and I'm going to put Him first and I'm going to put Him first in everything, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter what's going on, no matter how hard it hurts, no matter how hard I have to push, I am going to put God first in everything. And what we can know about our God is no matter how far we stretch it, we will not break when we trust in Him. That it doesn't make any sense to us that the math does not add up. But when we say, put God first, and Elijah said to her, okay, go ahead and go do what you think you need to do. Go be done with all those things. Get that stuff out of the way. But what I want you to understand is, Put me first. He was speaking for God. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. In these areas of faith in our lives, God wants to use to stretch us. And the more we allow God to stretch us, and the more we trust Him and find joy in the stretching, the more our lives are marked with the life of Christ. With a picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Because the truth is we have no power apart from God. But we can do anything through Christ. In the book of Ephesians. We read the book of Ephesians and studied Ephesians a whole lot earlier in this year. And what we find is. 
That when we're starting to think, I'm running out of the ability to come up with what I need. That I don't have the strength left. I don't have the power. I've got nothing left in reserve. There's nothing in my oil jar to give. And God wants us to give more. And we say, God, I don't have it to give. I don't know what you want from me. I don't know what you expect from me. I don't know how to get this. But what we find out in the, in, in the New Testament is Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus changes everything. And when Jesus stepped in, he stepped into a world of people that thought following rules and following regulations and following traditions is what connected them to God. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's your heart. It's putting God first. And even when it doesn't make any sense that you say, okay, that may have been the regulation. You know what he said about prayer and fasting? He said, you're, you're spending that time doing that, but, but it, it's despicable to me. I turn my nose up at you because you're not understanding what putting me first means. You don't understand that it's not about going to church. It's not about just putting money in the offering plate. It's not just about singing on Sunday morning or serving in the nursery. It's not about those things. It's about me first. It's about a heart condition that says God first, God first, me second, God first, God first. In every situation, God first. Everything. And in every second of every day, God is first. God, how do you want me to respond to this person at work that's acting like this, that's, that's pressing my nerves, that's driving me insane? Love them. God first. Don't put your reaction or your emotions first. God, what do you want me to do? I, I, I don't have hardly enough money left to feed my family, yet, yet there's this uh, giving thing to the church going on. He says, put me first. My neighbor's in need. I need to help this person more, but I don't have hardly enough. And he says, put me first. God first. God first. God first. And the power of God, when you put him first, listen to what he does. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul's prayer for the church. He says, I pray that you will understand. Listen, the incredible greatness of God's power who for us, for us who believe in him. You're not alone in this. The incredible greatness of God's power. It's for those who believe in him. This is the same. Now listen, you've got to catch this. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at the right hand of the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any other ruler or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ, has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. So what's that have to do with this? It's the power of God living in you. Your nothing becomes something when you make God your everything. And you recognize that he is everything. That he has everything you need. Do you realize the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you? Inside of you, you have the love of Christ, the light of Christ, the life of Christ living and breathing inside of you. And if you have breath in your lungs, you have something to give. And rather than sitting back and saying, I can't do it. I don't know how I'm going to come up with this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this time. I don't know how this is all going to pan out. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Remember, when you believe in Jesus Christ, the power that raised the dead lives in you. 
You have the strength. You have the power. And listen to this last verse. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Is your jar empty? You don't think you have enough left? You don't think you have it in you? When you believe in Jesus Christ, he fills all things everywhere, including you, with himself. He wants to fill you, church. He wants to use you, church. And I'll tell you what's so amazing about this story is, is you talk about stretching faith. God could have said to that widow, I just proved my point. You know, if you went in and, and your box of Cocoa Puffs never ran dry, if you went into your pantry and, and, and all of a sudden that macaroni and cheese, and it was the good stuff too, it's craft. And, 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 you know, and, 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 and it never ran out. You would think, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. I'm going to trust God forever. But there's something about normalcy that when we get stretched somewhere and then we stay there for a little while, we begin to get comfortable. And in the life of this widow, God didn't desire for her to be comfortable. He desired to stretch her because the goal wasn't a destination. God's goal is desperation for you. The goal is not from God for you to get to a destination. The goal for you from God is for you to get to a point of desperation. You cannot do it without Him. You cannot live another day without Him. You can't get through this day. You can't get through the next second. And it's all absolute truth without God. You could not be sitting here. In an instant you could be gone if God chooses to call us on. And God goes to this widow and God puts this in front of Elijah. And, and all of a sudden things begin to change for this widow. That pantry is full. She's eating. She's doing good. She was a generous giver. She gave what she had to God. But it was time for her to be stretched again. And in verse 17 it said, Sometime later the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse. And finally he died. And she said, oh, man of God, what have you done to me? Why have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? And it's not only the widow's faith being stretched, but Elijah's faith is being stretched. God, what are you doing? You brought me here. You should be just pouring out blessing on this woman. But this doesn't feel like blessing. It feels like a curse, God. Where's this going, Lord? What are you doing? And, and you begin to see that they weren't getting to a, a, a destination, but they're being brought to a place of desperation. And you can hear it in her voice. What have you done to me? And you begin to hear it in Elijah's prayer. But this is a big ask from Elijah. Elijah replies to her and he said, give me your son. It's all I have left is this body. Your God teased us. We were going to die a long time ago, but your God, he teased us. He drugged us on, and now I have to be alive to watch my son, and I have to bury my son. We were going to die together. We were going to be done with this, but your God, and now you just want to take the only thing I have left in this life? You've got to take my son from me? You want me to give him to you? You want me to trust you? You brought me to this place, God. I've got nothing left. And you want the only thing I have, which is this lifeless, dead body. And Elijah says, give me your son.
And he took the child's body from her arms and he carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on the bed. And Elijah cried out to the Lord a, a prayer of desperation. He said, oh Lord, my God, why have you brought this tragedy to this widow? She's opened her home to you and you've caused her to, she's opened her home to me, Lord, and now you've caused her son to die. But God doesn't want to leave us in a place of desperation. God wants to change that desperation to a place of dependence. That is not, I'm desperate for you, God, but I'm dependent on you, God. And a lot of times when we move from this area, we see, I wanted to get to a destination, but God doesn't have a destination. He's got desperation. And then when I'm in desperation, I've got a choice. And a lot of times people, when they're in a place of desperation, move to disillusionment in God. And they begin to think God's not real. I'm not going to trust him anymore. Look at what he's done to me in the past. Look at how he's, he, I don't like the way that turned out. I don't agree with that. I feel like he's failed me. Because we think that the destination is the journey, but it's not the, it, the destination is the end, this point, but the journey is the destination. And it's going to be a journey of desperation, which leads to dependence on God. And Elijah cries out and he says, Lord, please. Let this child's life return to him. I can't do this, God. I can't bring this back. I can't do this without you. You've brought us to this place, God. We only have you. You're the only thing left. You're the only thing I can depend on, God. But all we've got now to offer you is this child's lifeless body. But when you give God nothing, he makes something because he's everything. And I said earlier, if you've even got breath in your lungs, you can serve God. And God just proves you don't even have to have breath in your lungs to serve Him. God can take the dead. He can take the old. He can take the rotted, the dried up, the miserable, the disappointed, the disillusioned, the hurted, the fearful, the anxious, the depressed, the poor, the power. God can take what's old and He breathes new life into it again. If we're just willing to hold it open-handed to Him, everything you have is a gift from God. And God can take nothing and He can make it something because He is everything. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer. You bring comfort right there. The Lord hears your prayer of desperation. And the life of the child returned and he revived. And then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and he gave them to the mother and she, he said, look, see, your, your son is alive. And the woman responded and said, I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you place of desperation turned to dependence on God and God brought life back into that boy he took what was lifeless and he made it new again 
And I want us to just contemplate for a few moments that we have left this morning. What is it that God has taken you through? What is it that God has brought you through? What is it that you can say, I, I, I'm comfortable now, I've got through this season, but now I'm at a comfortable place. Well, I'm going to tell you, God doesn't want you to stay there to be comfortable. God wants to stretch you. And God wants you to look and he wants you to dig deep. And he said, what, what do I have that I'm hanging on to? I think for that woman, God realized her son was everything to her. And he had to get to a place where he said, if that's what you're hanging on to, I'm going to take that from you to help you realize you have to be willing to give everything. Because the truth is, if you think you have everything, your everything is nothing in comparison to God's everything. So God brings us to a place where we begin to contemplate and look inward and say, God, what is it that your power is wanting to do in me? New power, new direction, new freedom. Because you can take the dead and you can give it life, Lord. You did that through your son, Jesus Christ. And now that same power that was in Jesus Christ that raised him from the dead is living inside of me. And God is calling you to change. God is calling you to give to him first. To be a generous giver of your time, of your talents, of your treasure, of your thanksgiving. You say, you've got nothing to be thankful for. You've got breath in your lungs. You've got something to be thankful for.